This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the Eagle Moss Shop, home of official Star Trek collectibles, including the never-before-produced USS Titan from the Star Trek Titan novels. Use promo code MISSION for 10% off Star Trek collectibles with your order of $50 today at shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 249, Inheritance. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's a good one. See, I thought you were going to say, I'm Ken Ray's consciousness uploaded into an android body since, you know, it's... It's your dream, you talk about it, and it's kind of perfect for today's episode of Star Trek. Yeah, that would have been funny, but no, still a biological organism as far as I know. Yes, as far as you know. Hmm. Today's episode, Inheritance, the one where Data meets his mom. John will have trivia in just a moment, but first... But first... Ken, we get to talk about teeny tiny starships once again. <laughs> teeny tiny starships in general, but one in particular, um, about which I'm surprisingly excited. Yes, this is a very exciting model from our friends at Eagle Moss. It's the Titan. And uh, you may have heard of Ben Robinson. He is the resident Star Trek expert at Eagle Moss. And before this point, he had always said that they would not produce a non-canon, so a non-screen-used ship from Star Trek. Um, but then in an interview with the Trek Collective in 2014, he said that he might have his arm twisted to uh, change that policy if 5,000 people would pledge to buy it. And guess what? If you throw down a challenge to Star Trek fans, they will meet that challenge because they all signed a petition. So Eagle Moss then decided, absolutely, we will do this. We will produce the Luna-class USS Titan. And they have done exactly that. Uh, about a year, no, more than a year in the process. And uh, the USS Titan, which had only been depicted in the novels about Captain Riker being the captain of the Titan, seen a little bit in the artwork on the cover of those novels, but now here it is beautifully rendered in a 3D model. So not only would Star Trek fans be excited about this, but fans of Star Trek literature will be excited about this. Um, and who knows? Maybe this will kick off other non-canon ships. And actually, as a side note here, Ken, you remember the Antares from uh, uh, Charlie X? So... Think of it this way. This is one of those points where there was a ship not seen on screen. Hmm. And then for remastered, they decided to take that grain ship from uh, uh, from more troubles or more triples, more troubles, the animated series and make it into an actual TOS ship. And then that became an Eagle Moss model. So it's sort of this weird roundabout way of creating more and more tiny starships. You know, that really is actually interesting. And I got to say, I, I've been excited about the ships that Eagle Moss has for quite a while. When I said a minute ago that I was surprisingly excited about this one, I tend to be excited about specifics. Like, you know, everybody knows I love the Reliant. Everybody knows I love the Klingon Bird of Prey. Everybody knows that I love the ships that I have seen. It was actually not until we were talking about this, I did not realize the Titan novels were about Captain Riker's command. Which, I mean, I know you said they mentioned it in Nemesis, but... <laughs> 
mm-hmm. we haven't watched that yet. And right. so I'm not even 100% certain what you're talking about. Um, it's exciting to see something that like really, you know, especially the stories that we're in right now, because I was counting, we have less than 20 next gen stories left uh-huh. as we record today. I know we're coming very close to the end of this and I'm not really sure that I'm ready to let uh, William T. Riker go. And so this now has made me excited about the novels and about the ship. But let me tell you really quickly more about that. A Luna-class Federation starship, as John said, bearing the registration NCC-80102. The Titan is featured uh, in the novels that John was talking about, the ones that I was just talking about as well. Uh, While not ever seen on screen, this is officially authorized by CBS Studios. And and again, though technically not part of the official canon, uh, it is talked about. Uh, in Nemesis as being the first official command of Captain William T. Riker. So kind of a neat continuation, if you will. Yeah, and this model is available only from Eagle Moss Collections. Uh, It is die cast, uh, as they do in that specially formulated metallic resin. So it's got heft, it's got real weight to it. It's hand-painted, and it comes with a display stand, plus that in-depth magazine that you and I love featuring product artwork highlighting the ship's history and design. So here's what you do. Use code MISSION today for 10% off the Titan and other Star Trek collectibles with your order of $50 or more at Eagle Moss Shop. And where you go for that is shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA and then enter promo code MISSION when you get to checkout. That address again, shop.eaglemoss.com slash USA and enter the promo code MISSION at checkout. It it helps you to get 10% off and it helps us by supporting the show. And a big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring us this week. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, as I said, just a moment ago. But first, I want to let you know how to get in touch with us if getting in touch with us is your thing. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I said a moment ago and a few moments before that that John was going to get to trivia. And if you'll allow me just one more moment... Okay, now it's time for John Champion's Trivia. Oh, thank you so much, Ken. Trivia for today's episode, Inheritance, goes something like this. The story is by Dan Capel. Now, Dan has very little in the way of entertainment writing in his credits, and this is the only Star Trek story he has written. His background and the rest of his career is really mostly in journalism, and as an avid mountain biker, he has written columns and even served as editor of Mountain Bike Magazine. So the teleplay is credited to Dan Coppell and Rene Echeverria, and it was directed by Robert Shearer. Now, we've talked about Robert Shearer quite a bit. He has directed a number of TNG episodes. Most recently for us in our rewatch, he directed Chain of Command Part 1, and this is the last of his work that we will see on Next Gen before he moves over to Deep Space Nine and a couple of episodes of Voyager. 
There are a few deleted scenes if you're watching along on the Blu-rays. Some very good here, some kind of revealing about the episode. Well, we have Juliana talking more with Data and Ten Forward early in the episode. Just a a few more anecdotes about Sung uh, wanting to make Data hiccup. And then you have the scene actually in Counselor Troy's quarters. So Data actually does visit Troy for counseling. Not that we didn't know that, uh, but yeah, when Juliana leaves, he actually goes in and they have a scene together. Um, but it is just more of Data kind of wrestling with the idea of how his mother is maybe over-interested in him. Uh, we have an extension of the scene in which Juliana is confessing to Data that she left him behind. Uh, he understands a little more about guilt. That's what prompts him into saying that maybe she should talk about it. And uh, the one that I like is... Right after the concert, there's a nice little bit with Pran Tainer in which he praises Data's playing and confesses that he's a little more at ease now with an artificial life form and welcoming him into the family. That is right before Data and Beverly go into sickbay. Two guest stars of note to talk about in this episode. We have William Lithgow as Pran Tainer, and only a handful of credits to his name. Uh, This one Trek appearance plus an episode of Santa Barbara on top of some small feature roles. Now, Juliana Tainer is played by Finula Flanagan. This is actually her second Star Trek appearance. By the time this episode aired, she had already shown up in an episode of Deep Space Nine as another character, and she'll be back in yet another role in Enterprise in a few years. Now, changing characters is not a problem for her. Fanula got her start in the Irish theater and quickly gained a reputation for her roles in many adaptations of James Joyce's work, including a one-woman show, James Joyce's Women, in which she played no fewer than six different characters. That show, by the way, was directed by Burgess Meredith and filmed in 1983. Now, more likely, you might know her name from a role in uh, Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure, (laughs) multiple spots on Murder, She Wrote. And she was in the super creepy film The Others as the housekeeper, Mrs. Mills. And she was in the sci-fi series Defiance. Another day, another planet about to meet its demise. Thank goodness the Enterprise happened by. Prologue. A pair of geologists from Atreya 4 is on the Enterprise. The core of their planet is cooling, solidifying. That's affecting gravity and seismic activity. The solution, of course, shoot it. Warming the core to the proper temperature should liquefy it for hundreds of years and keep the world spinning like a top. That's not the reveal, though. The real reveal is when the female geologist... Dr. Juliana Tainer tells Data, in private, that she is his mother. Act 1. Excuse me? Here's her story. Dr. Tainer says she was married to Noonien Sung and was there when Data was created. Data has no memory of her because they wiped his memory, so he could forget his troubling childhood. Once he was right... They deactivated him and programmed him with the logs of the colonists on Omicron Theta. They had planned to reactivate him, but there was no time. Soong and Juliana made their escape just ahead of the arrival of the crystalline entity. And she is sorry. They wanted to take him with them, but there was only room in the escape craft for two. Here's Data's problem. There is no mention in all of those logs and memories of you being married to my father. Well, duh, it was a secret marriage... 
My mother thought Sung was eccentric and too old for me. So we snuck off to Mavala 4 and got married. Secretly. It wasn't the wedding for which she'd hoped, but Noonien had a way of making the oddest things seem romantic. Data agrees. He did have an unusual way of looking at things. Data knows this because he encountered Dr. Sung once. This makes Juliana happy. Yes, encountered him right before he died. This makes Juliana sad. She's surprised how hard it hits her, since they didn't part on the best of terms. In the end, he loved his work more than he loved her. So, she left. Oh well, that was a long time ago. The important thing is that she's here with Data, now. Yeah, says Data, this is weird. I would like to corroborate your story before we proceed further. Data, out. In engineering, they're working on saving the planet. Also, Data has found proof that Sung and Juliana did go to Mavala 4 at the same time. But that doesn't prove they were married. But Jordy is a believer. Why would she lie? You seem to be trying to prove her wrong because it doesn't fit with what you thought you knew. That's life, dude. That's part of being human. Learning to deal with the unexpected. It is weird to Data. This idea of a life he lived but does not remember. And yet, he would like to know more. And so he goes to Juliana and tells her he would like to get to know her better. His mother. Act 2. Juliana jumps immediately into mom mode, telling stories of his birth, excited to see him visiting a woman in the evening hours. Data says the woman is the ship's counselor, but he doesn't need to explain to her. The next day in engineering, Data, Jordy, and Juliana are ready to save the planet. She can help run some of the computations on the fly to make sure everything goes well. And she can tell stories that would embarrass a normal son. He wouldn't say please, he wouldn't say thank you, and he used to go everywhere naked because clothes were unnecessary. They eventually had to write a modesty subroutine for him. This episode of This Is Your Life interrupted by Star Trek, The Next Generation. Time to shoot the core and save the planet. Jordy and Data tell Commander Riker they're ready to rock or unrock in this case. Juliana's current husband, Dr. Pran Tainer, the other geologist from Atreya 4, wants someone else to check Data's calculations. He is a machine, after all. And Riker absolutely refuses, because don't tell me how to run my ship. Uh, my captain's ship. All goes according to plan, giving Riker a chance to deliver some epic side-eye. And now, back to This Is Your Life. Data and Juliana are spending time in his quarters. She's very impressed with his musical ability, though he suspects it sounds better to her than it would to others because she is his mother. Maybe. But it is gratifying since giving him a creative side was her idea. And Data's glad he has that. He thinks pursuit of creative endeavors brings him closest to being human. Data is playing in a recital tomorrow night, and Juliana wonders if she might play the viola along with him. You know... After a little practice, he says sure. Meanwhile, she'll have a look at his paintings. Hey, who's that? Oh, that's Lal, the android that I made. Kind of your granddaughter, I guess. Yeah, she's dead too. Let's go practice. In 10 Ford, they practice. Just a pair of virtuosos. After, Juliana quizzes Data on Lal. Would he ever make another android, knowing that it might fail? 
It's very tricky. Your father lost several prototypes before lore. Oh yeah, that. There were three before lore. Their positronic matrices all collapsed, and Juliana wanted him to stop. But he knew he could do it. Make a stable positronic matrix. And he did. With lore. So that went well. Of course, it didn't go well. They had to deactivate lore. And Juliana was really against Noonien trying again. So you were against me? Asked Data. Well, yeah, but you've turned out really good. So I see now that I was wrong. I've been following your progress for years, and you are awesome. Then why did you not try to contact me before? And here, Juliana has a confession. There was room in the escape pod for him. She made Sung leave Data behind, fearful that he might turn on them the way Lore had. Act 3. Time to shoot the planet's core some more. Only this time it's not going so well. They're getting feedback up the beam into the ship. If they can't readjust, they'll either have to cut the beam, requiring months of recalculation, or the ship will break apart. But Juliana is on it. She adjusts the beam, the procedure proceeds, and the Enterprise does not break apart. That was... lucky. Down on the planet, Data, Juliana, and Pran are implementing part two of the plan. They have to put equipment physically into the holes that they've drilled from space. Holes deep in the planet. There's stress around the pocket, but it should stay stable. Then Pran goes a bit blundering stepdad. Your mother told me what she told you last night, and you have every right to be angry. And Data's like, I'm not angry, and Data's mom's like, shut up, Pran. She tells Data that she knows what he heard must have been hard to hear, and she hopes he understands. Actually, says Data, I do not. Let me ask you this. Would you have left me on Omicron Data if I had been a real live boy, your biological offspring? No. Is that because you place more value on biological life than artificial life? No. Dismantling lore was the hardest thing I ever had to do. We left you behind because if we'd had to dismantle you, I didn't think I could do it. I'm not trying to justify what we did, but I am sorry we did it. Time for the recital, and it goes perfectly. And Data seems to notice something about Juliana. Something so... Something that he asked Dr. Crusher if he can see Juliana's medical status from her transporter trace pattern. Well, there is such a thing as medical privacy, but you are Data, so... <laughs> all right. And there's nothing wrong. Except for a little hypertension, which is completely normal in a woman her age. So what's the problem? Data says he has reason to believe she is not who she says she is. This episode of House interrupted by Star Trek, the next generation. There's been a cave-in on one of the holes in the planet, and Data is needed. Act 4. Pren was injured in the cave-in. He'll be fine, but someone has to go back and fix the equipment. It'll be Data and Juliana, two to beam down. And it's seismic activity, and they fix the equipment, and there's more seismic activity, and they can't get to the transport site, and they have to jump, and Data's mom is knocked unconscious, and her arm is popped off because, oh my maker, she's an android. Act 5. So, yeah, she's a Soong-type android, except everything about her is designed to make you think she's human. She even sends out false biosignals. We know all this because Geordi and Crusher have the unconscious Juliana popped open in sickbay. 
Data told Riker he knew she was an android. The calculations that saved the planet? She did those too fast. Also, her blinking uses the same algorithm as his. Also, she played the viola exactly the same way in practice as in the recital. The exact same way. Zero variation. So, yeah, she's an android. Crusher and Geordi can't find anything wrong with Juliana. She should be awake. Oh, look, there's a note inside. Actually, it's a holographic chip. Plugging it into the holodeck. Hey, it's Noonien Sung. When Data identifies himself as Data, Sung's attitude changes. He's glad it's Data. He's made a special set of answers just for Data. Everything Juliana told Data was true. Eh, up to a point. There was a Juliana. A real one. She died shortly after she and Noonien escaped the crystalline entity. Soon couldn't stand the thought of losing the only woman he'd ever loved, so he built a replacement body and transferred her memories into it. And it worked. She had no idea what had happened. As far as she knew, she was the original Juliana. The only Juliana. Soon never told her the truth. There was no need to. He wanted her to be happy. He wanted them to be happy. But everything after that was true, too. Sung was obsessed with his work. He never really let Juliana know how much he loved her. Had the real Juliana lived, she'd have left him, too. So, says Data, when she finds out, Hey, whoa, ho, no, there's no need for that. I programmed her to turn off if something crazy happens. You know, like her arm popping off. She's programmed to die, eventually. The truth is, in every important way... She is Juliana Soong. She'll live a long and happy life. Don't rob her of that. Of course, Data wants more data, so he consults senior staff. Crusher says tell her. She has a right to know. Troy says don't tell her. She's human as far as she knows, and finding out otherwise might crush her. Data says he's having a hard time separating what's best for her from what's best for him. If he tells her, then they have something in common. He is no longer alone in the universe. Yeah, says Troy, but tell her and you take away her humanity. You know, that thing you've always wanted? Picard says, whatever, we'll back your play. In the end, Data opts for humanity. Hers. He wakes Juliana and tells her that she was knocked unconscious on the planet. She broke her arm, but Dr. Crusher repaired it. Everything is fine. Saying goodbye, Data tells his mother that he'll come see her on his next leave, and he does have something he thinks she should know. His father told him that he had only one great love in his life, and that he regretted never telling her how much he cared for her. Data is sure that he was referring to Juliana. Touched, Juliana kisses him goodbye, one to beam down. The end. Kind of shocked. Shocked. Shocked that in the concert scene, <laughs> yeah. you didn't begin that by describing that everybody is there. Well, the major cast, every you know, Captain Picard is there. Yep. And Lieutenant Junior J. She's there. She's at the concert. Lieutenant Junior J was there. I'll tell you, if there's entertainment going on, you remember Ode to Spot, certainly. She was front and center for that. Oh, yeah. Actually, she was next to the captain. Actually, she seemed a little familiar with the captain in that episode, but not nearly as familiar as Riker seems with her in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, 
I, his arm is not exactly around her, <laughs> but he's pulled the move, right? I mean, he's like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna spread out here and put my arm. I'm just gonna put my arm on the back of the couch here, mm-hmm. and if it just happens to be behind Lieutenant Junior J, well, you know. Are you describing the the irascible once in future Captain William T. Riker of the USS Titan? <laughs> hey, that's someday. Right now, uh, right now he's just you know Commander Riker, and and you know he has a reputation. He does. I'm not saying he has a reputation to uphold. I'm saying he has a reputation, and I don't think it was diminished by him sitting there very casually with his arms sort of extended, kind of near around Lieutenant Junior J. Yeah, not one bit. Not one bit. Uh, so that particle beam, as you described it, they, they just shoot at the planet. Yeah. And I'm thinking, so we've got, uh, the, the Tainers on board and that's about it. And they just call down and say, Hey, everybody on the planet is cool with a starship firing phasers at it. Okay, cool. We're good. Cause that's what we're going to do. Do you think they have a planet wide alert system? Like, listen, there's going to be a giant laser <laughs> shooting part of the planet. Don't worry. It's it's yeah. really good. It's really fine. If you live within maybe like a fifty mile radius, please just get out of the way. Yeah, just good point. Move that. a little bit. Yeah, um, I love that. Somebody should check Data's work. Pran is not totally. He's like, yeah, well, he's a machine. Somebody should check his work. And I'm thinking, what, like, check his work on a computer or a calculator or something? Because that's what he is. We totally just eliminated an extra step. That's that was kind of odd. Uh, something more important about Pran, though. Mm-hmm. He looks like an alien version of Henry Gibson. <gasps> he sort of does. <laughs> He sort right? of does. Yeah. If you don't know who Henry Gibson is, look him up. I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. some of the later years, too, because I was thinking about the Laugh-In days. Uh, yeah, Laugh-In, and then he showed up later on, uh, actually, as, as a judge a couple of times on Boston Legal. Pran looks like Henry Gibson. Like, if you said, well, let's make Henry Gibson an alien, then then you get Pran. You get Pran Tainers, which you get. I, I really liked seeing Brent Spiner as young Sung. So I, I know that we got a lot of Brent Spiner when we, we had Data and we had Lore and we had Sung all kind of in the room together. Um, but it, it was cool to now see a different take on Sung instead of the old man. And the makeup job was fantastic. Um, you, this is actually your third take on Sung. Because don't forget in the in the one where Data dreams. I know we mostly forgot the Data dreams. Oh, of course. After a while, of course, right. But that was right, actually right. a that was a younger Sung. That was probably yeah, even a younger, mid to yeah. late thirties. Uh, here you had sort of a middle aged Sung, and then of course you have the incredibly uh, you have the prune face Sung from the one yeah. where uh, from Brothers, I guess it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But this was really good makeup on him, and uh, yeah. it was good makeup. Um, I am having a Data conundrum here. Uh oh. I think I've stumbled upon the truth, and I'm trying to decide if I share it with everyone. And I'm kind of not kidding, because it's one of those plot hole things, right? Okay. No, I just, you're committed now. Yeah. Well, the, well, no, it's still a question. It's up to okay. you. Do I say something that may make your enjoyment of this episode difficult? Hmm. Hmm. Well, that, that kind of gets to the heart of this episode now, doesn't it? Kinda it kind of does. Yeah, a little yeah. foreshadowing here. Um, I guess, though, I, I do have to do it. When did Soong make this recording exactly? So he made Juliana, right? Obviously, he made the recording after he made Juliana in case something happened to her. Right. But then in the recording, he's referencing events that happened after Juliana left him. Oh. Yeah. So when yeah. did he when did he install that chip exactly? Now, I'm willing to say that she's running Windows 10. 
Okay. She, <laughs> so she's she's remotely like, upgraded. She's yeah. getting automatic over the air updates because I know so many people who say, yeah, so I was in the middle of doing something and then my computer decided it was time to update because I'm running Windows 10. I know lots yeah. of people who have said that. Or whatever comes after Windows 10 for people listening after Windows 10. You know, we might yeah. be up to Windows 25 by the time people are listening to this and they're like, Windows 10. <laughs> what, on their abacus? <laughs> yes, okay, I understand. But. But I'm I'm just it, it it's I was I was sad honestly when I hit that mm-hmm. plot hole and I felt mm-hmm. I had to share my pain with other yeah. people. No, I'm did. going the, I'm going the Cybok route, hoping that Cybok <laughs> will take that pain from me, and I'll feel better now. Really though, I think maybe I just made us all feel worse. And nope, again, just, we might be jumping to the end of the episode. Yeah, pretend like it didn't happen. That's, that's what we do. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe. We'll yeah. we can discuss that later. Uh, Data has a conversation with uh, Jordy, and uh, Jordy says, well, why would anyone pretend to be your mother? And Data says, I can't think of any motivation. And I really? Uh, should we call Bruce Maddox on this? Mm. Or, or any other number of people who would want to take him apart and maybe steal Data? Yes. Uh, what was the guy's name? Fajo? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, he yeah. might be out of jail. We don't know. He might. Yeah, all right. kinds of reasons you might do that. Yeah. Um, I, I do love the moments where uh, Juliana thinks that everything Data does is wonderful and, and Data's sort of unease at that. And I know that he doesn't have emotions because he's unemotional. He's an android. But I, I, I love that this sort of irks him. It confuses him. I didn't feel like it irked him at all. I honestly thought it was a very cute exchange. And of course, the problem is, as you say, Data doesn't have emotion, so he shouldn't have the cute exchanges. But when mm-hmm. he, it's especially when he shows her the painting. He oh, shows okay. her the painting. And he's like, oh, this is in the, in, the, in the style of the French Impressionist. And she's like, oh, it's wonderful. And he doesn't say anything. He just gives her this look like, he gives her the look. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> I had a friend. I had a friend who, yeah, whatever. I was in a class one time. I was in a writing class one time, and this guy wrote these jokes, and they were absolutely terrible jokes. And he told the jokes, and everybody was like, yeah, can the jokes. Because it wasn't supposed to be a funny thing anyway. Everybody was like, can the jokes. And he said, "Um, I I will have you know, my wife thought those jokes were very funny. And my friend said, and my mom thinks I'm pretty. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, like, yeah. So it was a a cute moment. Yeah. I love it. Hey, and we learned that Dr. Sung created three prototypes before he even created lore what how, yeah, how cool would it be to find them sometime <laughs> hold on a second prototypes before lore before lore that's crazy i can't imagine that we would ever see anything like that wow that's really cool um let's see valuable lesson here part of being human is learning to deal with the unexpected i like that i, I like you know jordy is very plain spoken on that one um you mentioned this in your uh, recap. Uh, so it's cool to shoot at a planet, even if nobody else down there knows it's coming. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it's also cool to share medical records. Right. Okay. Just because, well, Data had a very good reason. Right. It was a good reason. <laughs> Not going to tell you what the reason is, but it is good. Uh, also, by the way, Data could have just picked up his mom. <laughs> that that might have that might have revealed everything. He, he could have just if they go in for a hug, he could have just picked her up and said, "Oh, look, you weigh way more than a human would of your size." Or he could have had a wharf pick her up. Mm-hmm. That would do it too. Do me a favor, just uh, test something for me. I'm trying something out. I think I, I think I dropped something under my mom. Can you move? Her? <laughs> can you move her for me, please, so I can see? I uh, I, I like that we, we have the kind of classic 
Star Trek, let's sit in the conference room and talk about the problem and let's weigh out like everybody's going to chime in with the way they feel this should go. And Beverly is speculating about if she were in the same position, she would want to hear the truth from her son. So that dialogue goes something like this. Wesley, mom, you're a robot. Beverly, oh, okay, I'm glad to hear it from you. That's that and scene. That's that. That's apparently the big reveal. Well, let's let's try it again. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I've written a line in here for you. So do me a favor. You be Wesley. I'll be Beverly. So so do okay. Wesley's line again. Okay, Mom, you're a robot. Wesley, you're lying. I'm from Starfleet. I never lie. Yeah, I think that would sound much better coming from him. Seriously, every other week, another planet planetary system or star system is about to end or be destroyed i will bet if you check the warranty on the galaxy it ran out about two weeks before encounter at far point the question put to young bruce wayne in the movie batman begins why do we fall bruce so we can learn to pick ourselves up Dana has no memory of juliana because they wiped his memory so he could forget his troubling childhood And I guess what I'm wondering is, how is that a good idea? We learn that things burn by touching them when we're small and stupid. And that makes us smart for the rest of our lives. Um, If you want to go poetic about it, we fall so that we can learn to pick ourselves up. I don't really think that's why we fall, but hopefully we do learn to pick ourselves up. We learn to deal with it, right? Explain to me how eliminating all of his embarrassment from childhood makes him better. Hmm. Well, I did have to ask myself a couple of times how much of that was a lie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that's one thing. Why do you think any of it was a lie? Because according to Sung, as far as, well, according to Sung, everything that she told him was true, except for the part where she didn't know she was an android. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I, I don't know how much programming he had to do once he had sort of ported over her her synapses, you know, a map of her synapses. So I I, I don't know. I mean, I I have to take a a lot of that with a grain of salt. I assume that most of what's in there is Juliana, but we don't know if it's all Juliana because he did at least tinker with her her to the extent of being able to erase the part that would know that it is a robot, that she is a robot. But anyway, anyway. Um, Yeah, I I, I didn't know if some of that was – created in order to have that sort of false history with that version of Juliana. But yeah, it, it, you would want, you would want data to remember all of that unless Soong's purpose was something else, because remember they talked about programming him with the, the journals and the memories of the people who lived on Omicron. Um, so maybe, maybe the purpose was something, something just different. Although data, a self-realized data, has drive on his own to want to try to be human and not just parrot back whatever he knows from those colonists from long ago. So, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, I can't imagine that, that it would be a good idea to erase all of that. Um, I can't imagine that it would take up a lot of his memory to have, you know, naked data walking around the colonists. Right. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I guess the real reason is retcon, right? Oh, sure. Oh, we're going to write Data's yeah. mom. Data doesn't have a mom. Oh, well, we'll just make it like he does. How? Yeah. Oh, we'll see. Well, okay, we erase his memory. Because here's the thing. We actually do know that the first thing he remembers is waking up on Omicron Theta, right? 
yeah. when the Starfleet people come. That's where his memories begin. And you have mm-hmm. to assume that they at least tested him out, tried out a few things before that. They didn't just, like, leave him there having never turned him on and tested him. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but I don't understand that particular then that retcon of, like, oh, yeah, we took that away because your your, your childhood was painful or your childhood was difficult or because you were bumbling. Well, who right, wasn't? Right. As a child, who wasn't? <laughs> I remember, seriously, I've talked about it on this show before. I remember things that happened in my childhood that honestly affected the way I acted the rest of my life. They were learning experiences. We all had them, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And so then to say, yeah, but you were like a weird kid, so we just got rid of it. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, because maybe learning that people were uncomfortable with his nakedness actually might have informed his, quote, humanity, end quote. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of, it was kind of an odd thing because she just says, like, oh, yeah, you were a weird kid. And so we thought it'd be better for you if you didn't have that. So we eliminated it. And nobody's like, well, hang on a second. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Boy, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could erase the first like eight years of my life, huh? Right, right. So it's funny that we had, uh, oh, so few seasons ago, The Measure of a Man, Mm -hmm. and uh, we we were visited by uh, Bruce Maddox, um, and we we fought for android rights, or at least we posed the question, who are we to judge the rights that these androids have? And I thought, well, this episode kind of solidifies it, because at least the Enterprise crew and Data in particular at this point are just saying, like, uh, well, yeah, she's she's got the right to live exactly as she was programmed to live, and nobody needs to be any the wiser about this. So I, I thought this is kind of actually a nice companion piece to that in that respect. But I also thought there's a reality that has to be addressed here. And that, that isn't necessarily what this segment of our show is about, because, well, you talk about nitpicking and, and all that before. Um, there is no way that Juliana could go that long without being found out. I, I, I just don't think so. I know this is TV. I know these people don't exist. Um, but even some of these simplest things might reveal Juliana's true nature. Um, like, does she weigh nearly 100 kilograms like Data does? Uh, because that would be one tip off. That would be, you know, she's married to Pran. I don't know what their uh, marriage ceremony is like or anything. If the the groom picks up the bride at any point, but that might be one thing that would tip off that uh, she's not just a, a human woman. Um, I like that they addressed the question about the transporter, but then that worried me a little bit more because if you can fool a transporter, then can you actually fool a transporter into materializing the wrong thing on the other end? Well, I mean, just as soon as you, I mean, again, not to make another software joke, but as soon as you upgrade the software on the transporter, her biofeedback, whatever, is not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone would have mm-hmm. to know how to trick the biofeedback mechanism on the transporter. And we know that right. they upgrade the transporters from time to time because they don't work the same way in NextGen as they did in TNG. So, you know, right, or TOS, if, yeah. Or TOS, yeah. right. So if they ever yeah. finally start making Star Trek that goes well beyond the TNG era, <laughs> right. will those transporters be different? And if they are, busted. Mm-hmm. If she's actually still alive, which one assumes she wouldn't be at that point because she's supposed to live basically a normal human life and then just drop dead one day. Here's the question yeah. I have, though. Well, no, we can get to that okay. in a bit. Well, do you want to talk about her husband now? Oh, sure. Okay. Sure. Let's. Or yeah. do you want to go ahead and talk about. You want to finish talking about her before we talk about that? Well, I, I would just say that, I mean, here's the thing. As soon as she is deactivated, mm-hmm. because she, she has a mechanism that will deactivate her, um, well, that's another good way that she's going to get found out. Um, yeah, but she'll be dead, data. so who cares? 
Well, well, she won't care. Right. She won't care. But other people might care. Isn't Data going to want to know exactly what made her tick? I mean, she's way closer to human than he is. Could they share programming at, at any point i mean she's she's kind of miraculous i mean i get it she's she's a scan of the real juliana right um more so than you know data is a creation like like lore just sort of built from whole cloth um so actually there's a little roger corby in Sung in uh, in that respect uh, an old friend that we haven't talked about in a long time um but her her programming, she's very emotional, which is kind of wonderful. And um, you have to wonder if because this is simply programming that has been put together from the, the scan of the synapses in the real Juliana Tainer's brain, is there something to be learned there? It, it, you know, I, I mentioned Bruce Maddox, but I, I would think that the curiosity would be overwhelming if not for a Bruce Maddox, then maybe even for Data himself to figure out how that all came together. See, I would argue that she's no closer to human than he is. Hmm. He's actually human. I mean, it, it doesn't. It, he's hung up on his differences. And, we, and we, we talk about it every time, and it's become a joke, and it's become trite, and it's become boring. He has emotions. Yeah. But he's hung up on the fact that his emotions are different, or the way that they're, all of that manifests differently. It's just his holding on to the differences that, I mean, that's all that separates him, honestly, is the fact mm-hmm. that he keeps saying, well, I don't feel the way you feel. Well, how does he even know how anybody else feels? When you say that she's closer to human than he is, she's just a better mimic. She has sweat glands. She has tear ducts. She, you know, she ages. I mean, although um, Jordy actually says she ages the same way Data does, but it's much more complex. But all that is is artifice. She's yeah. really, I mean, at, at, at her core, she is no more human than Data is, except that she thinks she's human. That's it. Well, there you go. She, she believes that she is human. Right. Yeah. Well, there's no reason to not. Yeah. So, I mean, if well, Data just got over his whole, I'm different, if he stopped believing that he was, I mean, if he, if he stopped believing that he was outside and just accepted that he was different, let's say he put himself as part of the infinite diversity and infinite combination, then, I mean, then he's okay being what he is in the universe, not constantly mm-hmm. feeling like he's somebody who's looking at it from the outside in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's what we want to see from Data, but Data doesn't realize that. So we, we've got, a, like you said, fewer than 20 episodes ago and a handful of movies. So we have to see if Data actually comes to that realization, that he can embrace Itik, that he doesn't need to be human. But, but it seems like Juliana's thing, at least Juliana bot, is that <laughs> believing she is human is pretty much all it takes for her to be human. Right. That's, you know, that, that that's kind of it. Um, I, I like, so the, the heart of the ethical dilemma here is whether it's better, better to let someone persist in a lie. Mm-hmm. If the lie gives them what hope comfort or, you know, sense of purpose, or in her case, sense of identity. Um, and you could apply this question to any number of real world possibilities. Um, uh, up to and including the point that the real world includes uploading conscience to uh, a robot body. Um, I did wonder, though, it, you know, if we kind of go back to another classic Star Trek question, if the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, then do more people benefit from knowing the truth about Juliana than just protecting Juliana? So, 
data is data makes a decision to benefit Juliana. Right. Doesn't consult Pran. Doesn't doesn't really talk to anybody else except get uh, get that feedback from uh, his fellow crewmates. Right. Right. Um, but what if you could make the argument that there's more to be gained because other people would benefit from understanding the true nature of this version of Juliana? Pass. <laughs> okay. I mean, here's what we know. She's actually she's going to die relatively soon, and that may be terrible mm-hmm. to say, but you know, she's not listening because she's not real. She's going to die relatively soon, so then maybe Data can go ahead and because I did think about things like that, like what if she's an organ donor? And maybe we don't need organ donors in the 24th century because medicine has mm-hmm. advanced to such a point. Well, I guess we know we don't because uh, Bones gave somebody in the 20th century when he was from the 23rd a pill that made her kidney all better or her liver all yeah. better. I can't remember which. So maybe you don't need organ donors kidney, anymore. Yeah. But, you know, what if something medical does happen? She wants to give blood or maybe we've eliminated that as well. What if she falls again, though, and her arm pops off? I mean, See? that's somebody's going to know. OK, but here's the thing. I mean, because as you say, that's not really what this episode's about. This episode is more yeah. about about truth. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, whether truth is an objective or subjective thing, I think, whether it's a thing with a capital T or just a, you know, a word we toss around. Yeah. Oh, you asked a question, though, about about her. Oh, if the needs would. Uh, I mean, if you want to if you want to try to figure out how they do that. When she dies, you make sure that data gets to bury her, except instead of burying her, he calls Bruce Maddox and says, so listen, <laughs> I'm going to give you this one. OK, you're not stealing it. So it's all cool. I'm going to give you this and and, you know, go and see what you can do. Then again, on the other hand, you've got the problem with the whole, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. let's not get into that because, I mean, okay. that gets right. into the science fiction part of it. And this actually is an episode that, I mean, that does, as you say, deal with, with the idea of truth, deal with the idea of reality, right? Like, Crusher, wouldn't she be better off knowing the truth, dealing with the reality of her existence? I'm assuming you think yes. I, I typically am going to fall down on the yes side of that argument. Okay. But, but the, this episode makes a compelling argument that the answer is no. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was I was reminded of one of my favorite quotes from The Age of Innocence, um, mm-hmm. the Edith Wharton novel, also a pretty good movie by, uh, sure. by Martin Scorsese, directed by Martin Scorsese. I, I've definitely seen the movie more than I've read the novel, but the movie takes two hours and the novel takes a few weeks. So, you know, at the rate <laughs> I read. But saying of May Welland, or May Archer, uh, by the end of the book, um, And as he had seen her that day, she had remained generous, faithful, unwearied, but so lacking in imagination, so incapable of growth that the world of her youth had fallen into pieces and rebuilt itself without her ever being conscious of the change. And she had died thinking the world a good place full of loving and harmonious households like her own. Nothing was hurt by the fact that May Wellen thought that or May Archer thought that unless you count Newland Archer sort of sacrificing himself. But generally speaking, if people walk around, you know, believing that people are nice they tend to be happier people than, oh, I don't know, me. <laughs> I, I don't assume that everybody is nice from the word go. I would like to believe the best of everyone. Um, I don't yeah. automatically think that everybody's out to screw me. But, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily walk around thinking, you know, happy thoughts about every single thing that I see. And if somebody does, they may have a rude awakening one day, but I don't feel like it's my job to go... No, you're wrong. Everything stinks, and here's why. Or this particular thing that you think good things about is actually bad, and here's why. I mean, maybe if she were going around saying, I don't know, like maybe she's a robot and she's a racist. Maybe she's a robot (laughs) and she's against, 
you know, uh, cybernetic intelligence. At that point, data might say, funny story. You've yeah. actually got a positronic net for a brain. Okay, then you do that, maybe. But if all she's doing is walking around being like this, this, like, this excellent scientist, this aging woman who happens to be under the impression that she is you know, the mother of a robot while not being a, a robot herself, what good is served for her by doing that, by, by disabusing her of that, um, of that conception? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, that's tough to answer uh, other than to say that she does have this great mind and she does have this great compassion and she she seemingly has all these wonderful qualities that might she even be able to exceed those by knowing more about who she is. You know, let, let let's say that let's say that like data she has the ability to keep living beyond the sort of artificial limit that uh, Sung has set. Well, apparently, uh, Juliana is a woman who can go around doing great things to help people like uh, like the people of this planet that has a solidifying core. You know, the, the, there could be something gained by having her, her intelligence and her being continue. So... I, I, again, though, you're still, you're still treating her in the science fiction realm. I mean, if we're oh, sure, if we're sure, assuming that yeah. Star Trek is trying to talk to us about our place, and I know that we're now in a weird part in the writing of Star Trek. I mean, this is not when Gene Roddenberry and DC Fontana and you know uh, people from the first round of Star Trek writers were sitting around trying to save the planet, right? Mm-hmm. We're onto something else now. But if we're going to keep looking at it through the prism of what is this trying to say about us, then let's not make her superhuman. Let's not make her any better or worse than she knows herself to be right now she's fairly smart and she's compassionate and if you tell her this other thing it's going to change everything that she's ever thought that she's known about herself past a certain point and so then the question is what good is served by that what good is served for her by that and you could say well maybe no good is served for her but maybe a lot of good is served for the universe except if that shuts her down then maybe she no longer has the ability to to believe the things that she believes. Maybe she doesn't even think she's good at math anymore because every time she starts to do a computation, she's going to realize she's just a computer doing a computation that's going to put her into a into a word jujitsu Kirkian loop of not knowing whether or not she should even be doing these things because should she even be here? Yeah, well, that is awfully convenient that they worked in that failsafe that as soon as she knows – she shuts down. Well, I mean, but again, I mean, yeah, there are a couple of things we could talk about. We should actually talk about both of her husbands. Did Newland Archer do well by May Archer by not letting her know, you know, actually outside of this nice house that we have, the world's kind of a crap place at this point. Did Noonien Sung actually do her, do Juliana a service by not, by not telling her the truth about herself? I mean, here's the thing. We're already, we're already 20 or 30 years down the road at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, arguing about whether or not he did the right thing or not is not really an issue. What he was trying to do at the time was, first of all, he was selfish. He couldn't stand the thought of losing her, so I'll just make a robot her. But then he's also trying to keep her from any sort of harm, right? She's trying to keep her from being hurt. What do you say? I wanted her to be happy. I wanted us to be happy. So he put it in the failsafe because he figures, you know, if she wakes up and finds out she's a robot, she's not going to be happy. Now, is that for her or is that for him? Well, again, it's 30 years ago, so that really doesn't matter. The question is what's going to serve – what is actually going to do the most good right now? Maybe it does the rest of the universe good to know that this kind of robot happens, but maybe the universe can wait 20 years until she actually drops dead. And And then the world can find out so much more. I am at that point worried about Pran. 
who we do have to talk about. Sure. Um, I love the fact that you said that he said somewhere in there, you know, I'm starting to trust machines a bit more because what we ended up with on screen was understanding that he doesn't really trust machines, but he's married to one, but he doesn't know that. And and what we saw on screen, he doesn't really soften the machines at all in this episode, except for maybe one like sort of like, oh, that's okay, kind of look to data, right? Yeah. So if she falls and her arm pops off again, well, first of all, she better hope there is a Bruce Maddox around or some other really good roboticist because there's, you know, only, well, apparently five like data out there now, lore, data, <laughs> and right. whatever came before. But second, I mean, what about Bran himself and what about his prejudice? And is it fair to call it prejudice, really, when, as far as he knows, there is nothing like data out there, nothing else like data? Like, I don't think Brand would be cool, like, if you met someone and she was like, listen, before we go any further, you should know I'm a robot. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think, no matter how, how in love he is, I see nothing in this episode that's going to make him go, well, that's okay. Because I love you for who you are. And now then, oh, man, I just accidentally opened up a whole bunch of other things. I mean, like, see well, also even- people who are, you know... See also people who have had a sex change operation or see also people who have passed for one race when they're actually another and not necessarily trying to pull anything over on anybody. It's just what they're doing. Right. And then somebody somebody falls in love with them and then like, oh, and by the way, I'm also this thing. And uh, that could throw everything into upheaval again. Well, you're describing a very classically Star Trek sort of meme which is uh, flip the story around and make the story about Pran and make the story about Pran overcoming his prejudice against artificial life forms. Right. That, that would have been a whole other way to play out this story. But instead, we focus on the Juliana and, and Data relationship and, and Data sort of allowing her this integrity to go on believing that she is who she thinks she is. Right. Um, which, uh, again, you know, I, my my sort of gut feeling on this is to come down on the side of truth of a capital T. Well, okay, let's go the other way on this, though. Do you remember in um, The Infinite Vulcan? So they moved Spock's brain, or Spock's Katra, or Spock's self from, you know, tiny Spock to 50-foot Spock, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Kirk could not accept that that was still Spock. We get him back into a smaller body because what just happened here, that's absolutely crazy. And Spock's there like 50 feet tall going, "Eh, it's still me, dude. When it was Spock's brain and he was actually like running all those systems. He's like, yeah, it's still me, right? Yeah. Juliana is still Juliana. Juliana is still Juliana. She, She went into a coma and then he activated the Juliana robot and she woke up like not knowing what happened for a couple of days. Same thing happened at the end of this episode. What happened? Oh, you fell, you broke your arm, Dr. Crusher fixed it, everything is fine, right? And her consciousness, her consciousness has been seamless from her first memory of like, you know, probably walking and falling down and not having somebody erase that. So she learned to pick herself back up again. Her consciousness has been seamless up to this minute. Yeah. That's truth. I mean, that is truth. I mean, it, so so it goes to the artificial intelligence versus manufactured intelligence thing. It's just intelligence. The only thing that keeps data from being human is his insistence that he's not. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is who she is, even if she's in a different case. This is why I make the case for uploading myself to a robot body. Not as soon as possible, <laughs> but eventually, because it's still going to be me. As far as I know. I just look, I, I, I fear that, you know, about once a week, if uh, Juliana Tainer goes to play tennis or something, every time she reaches down to pick up a ball and just crushes it in her hands, <laughs> then she's got to reset the whole robot loop again, because you know, 
and gave up the truth. Uh, stay tuned for the Bionic Woman podcast coming in 2075. What if it is the Enterprise that is causing all of this galactic destruction? Captain's Log. On a routine mission to Planet LOX. Everything seemed fine until... We... Arrived. The life of an episode of Mission Log begins when we hit play. And then we hit play again, then we make notes, and we take notes, and then we talk to each other... And then we are left with this. Inheritance, John. That's the episode we're talking about today. Time to talk about the uh, messages, morals, and meanings and uh, asking ourselves uh, whether this episode holds up as far as we're concerned. And uh, that tends to be where we start. So that's where we start again. Inheritance. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I'm going to say just that as an episode, as a production, it holds up very nicely. So it, it has replay value. Uh, just going back to rewatch and you, you see the little clues or more precisely Data's reactions to those little clues. I think that plays out very well. Um, and this is one of those episodes that feels like a play. Hmm. And, and I don't know if audiences today would be cool with that, but... This is where the episode or episodes like this are perfect for the seventh season of Next Gen. You're already so invested in the characters or you're okay with something very talky in this case. The acting is very good and the scenes build interest, even if it's just two people at a table. Mm-hmm. They, they absolutely sell it. Um, and then you've got a twist, which is a bit Twilight Zone, and I'm usually always good with that. <laughs> so um, put all of those elements together into a well-produced story that works, and, and it adds a depth to the characters with a, a meaty ethical question. So I, I'd say it holds up very well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was it was a joy to watch each time. It reminded me of other robot stuff that I've always loved, too, like the Electric Grandmother. I don't know if you remember that. Was that Maureen Stapleton? Yeah, it was Maureen Stapleton, I believe, uh, based on a uh, Ray Bradbury story. It, it was nice. I mean, it, it, it was sweet, and yet it did give us stuff to... Uh, did give us stuff to chew on as well, like, you know, things about, you know, truths with a capital T and all that stuff. Well, so that's where we come to messages then. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Are you going to do it or am I? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> well, I, I look, I, I think that on the on the surface here, the, there is I feel like at the very least there there is a sort of very Star Trek message here that we've talked about before, which is in this story, compassion trumps everything. Data, as much as he might not think he is human, Data makes a compassionate choice, hmm. which you could also chalk up to logic. Sure. You know, go back to Spock and the Wrath of Khan. You could say that his decision was logical, but his decision was also compassionate. Um, and I would argue that data's decision here is, uh, is kind of the same thing. Um, but I, I think that if we go back and we wrestle with that really meaty ethical issue, then that meaty ethical issue has to do with the nature of truth and, uh, whether or not, as you said, you can disabuse somebody of a factual error that may not actually may not actually have impact on their lives for the better you could even argue and say that well 
that factual error that they're making makes them happy, right. makes them feel like they have sense of purpose, sense of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's where this episode gets really tricky, and and I still. I still fall down on the side of saying that uh, we have to aim toward truth. And that is truth with a capital T. Because if we're not at least agreeing on the fundamentals, then um, then we're really not going to agree on anything else. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm torn. I mean, the argument here seems to be that everyone, you know, doesn't have to know the capital T truth in every situation. I do, I think, agree with you that it would be better if we all did and if we could all agree on that. But I think I'm I'm going to end up on data side here. As long as your truth isn't hurting other people, that's fine. I couldn't help but take it to an extreme, like like a like I mean, just a belief in God. There are some people who know it to be absolutely true that there is a God. There are other people who know it to be absolutely true that there is not. Okay. Well, obviously, <laughs> there's no there's no capital T truth there, but both of those people are convinced. And the problem is when they start each using their truth as a cudgel with which to to batter the other, right? Mm-hmm. Or when they start using that to yeah, to 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 guide any sort of public policy. And that goes all the way from, well, the Bible says that the world was created in 7 days and that God can take care of everything, so we're not going to worry about climate change all the way through well, my religious book says this and that this God is the only God, so the rest of you guys all need to die, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these truths, or, or you know, there is none of that, and that keeps destroying things, so there can't be any God, and we need to just stop talking about it. I mean, if you take it all the way to the extreme, if you use your truth, whatever you perceive your truth to be, to hurt other people, or I would say, too, if your truth ends up causing unintended harm, and that's where it starts to get tricky because, but it's true. Okay, but it's not really true. But it is true because yeah. you believe it's true. Ah, I don't know. I mean, you're never going to get everybody on the same page. So I guess if you come to something that is minor, if you come to something that does not matter, right? My mom watched a special about Walt Disney the other day about the man, mm-hmm. Walt Disney. And now she's having trouble liking anything Disney. Because the man Disney was kind of a jerk. Does that make Fantasia bad? No, Fantasia is actually still wonderful. Or if you like something less arty, does that make, um, I don't know, the Little Mermaid? That even came after him. But now it's like colored her whole thing. So did she need to know about, did she need to know that? I don't know, because now there's all this other joy that she feels like has sort of been sucked away from her because of this thing that she never knew. Her whole life never knew about this guy. And, and I'm not saying, well, we don't need to know the truth about who the guy was, because if somebody wants to, that's great. But what I'm saying is telling this woman that she was a robot, telling her that she's not who she thinks she is, might actually keep her from being who she actually is able to be, right? Yeah. And so, okay, truth of the capital T is served. Yay. And now you're just as miserable as I am. Huzzah. Do you know what I mean? Now you know what I know. And sure, you feel worse, but don't you feel better? <laughs> or or she might say, wow, I've got a robot body. I can walk outside this spaceship and not have to worry about uh, not having oxygen. I doubt that that's true, though, because if we're going back into the science fiction part of the whole thing, then, then uh, someone would have put in fail safes. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. She goes outside. She's going to think her lungs are going to explode and she'll die in 30 seconds. And how much better is the world for that?
But here's the thing, but could she overcome her programming? And then that kind of becomes a question for the human side of this, the realistic non-science fiction side of this, is that if you're given truth, can you overcome your programming to actually absorb that into into who you are and, and move on with it? So, yeah, it, it, go back to the thing about the Walt Disney documentary. You might learn some things that are distasteful and color your image of the man. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then can you absorb that? And accept that human beings are flawed and they have great characteristics and terrible characteristics. But sometimes those human beings who are a combination of all of the above can also produce great art that transcends simply the the meat bags that we are. You know, I, I think that's okay. I think that's one of those places where when we actually investigate the truth, we come out okay, even when the answer isn't exactly what we want it to be. Hmm. Or we could take it, like, keep it in the Star Trek realm, and it's the same thing that I've been saying about data, you know, like, since the beginning. The only thing that stops data from having emotions is it's constantly saying, but I don't have emotions. He does. Mm-hmm. I mean, so mm-hmm. can you overcome your programming? Sure. I mean, by forgetting you have programming. What's, um, what are the instructions from Life, the Universe, and Everything, or it was the one after that? I can't remember. I think it was Life, the Universe, and Everything, actually. The third book in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy, mm-hmm. of which there were five. Um, so long, I think. No, no, that was the last one. Yeah, no, uh, actually, yeah, uh, yeah. Mostly Harmless was the last one. But, oh, there you go. And yeah. then there's the one that somebody else started writing. But whatever. The point is, um, the, how, do you, how do you fly? Do you, remember, do you remember the instructions on how you fly? Oh, uh, it was something very pithy. Throw <laughs> yourself at the ground and miss. And miss. That's it. So, yeah. so the way that Arthur Dent learned to fly was he was going downhill and he tripped and he was about to fall. And then he saw a book that he had lost, I believe, several hundred years ago laying on the ground. And he was like, well, that's mm-hmm. weird. And he got so distracted by that that he forgot to fall. Mm-hmm. He was not concentrating on the fact that he was going to fall. He was doing something else and suddenly he could fly. If Data would just stop concentrating on the fact that he's not human, he's human. It's it's like what you said. She's more human than he is. The only reason she's more human than he is is because she thinks so. Yeah. And so I don't think she can overcome her programming <laughs> by knowing the truth in this case. I think she becomes a victim. I think she becomes a slave to her programming by knowing the truth. She's able to transcend by ignoring it. And that's not a good that's not a good message. And yet it's an awesome message. I mean, it depends on what you're talking yeah. about. If you're talking about penicillin, no, that's not a good message. If you're talking about yeah. I'm stupid and I'll never be able to do that. If that's what you've believed your whole life, if you can look beyond that or I mean, look at people who don't have formal training in something. They might have been told their whole lives you'll never be a writer because, you know, you were never trained to be a writer or they might sit down and write a novel. Maybe you actually have to take truth on a case by case basis, John. Hmm. I still lean toward truth in all circumstances. <laughs> and, but And I say you're wrong. And we can do this for like another 35 minutes. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Roddenberry does so much stuff, uh, including podcasts, but not just limited to podcasts. So please check out Roddenberry.com. And if you're looking for more podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. You'll find us, but you'll also find Women at Warp and Priority One and more coming soon. Hey, if you want to help this show specifically, patreon.com slash mission log is a place that you can do that. If you're seeking other Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. 
Next week, Parallels. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at k-i-theory.com. Holy cow. Holy cow. Juliana is the inheritance. Data has inherited Sun's problem and his legacy. My mind is going. I can feel it. I can feel it. And transmission.